Welcome to the What The Mum podcast. My name is Maria Newman and I will be your host. Every mum-to-be knows that as soon as she becomes a mum, her world will change forever. Everyone is keen to give you advice based on their own experiences. Other mums delight in sharing their horror stories so that new mums are better prepared for what might happen. The lack of sleep, feeling exhausted most of the time, living in bodies with even more wobbly bits and never having any privacy. But everyone's story is unique. Everyone's experience is personal. On this podcast, I will be sharing real stories told by mums like you and I about their experience of motherhood and how life changes when you become a mum. This podcast is about showing you that you're not alone. We may not be in the same boat, but we are experiencing a similar storm. I hope these stories will inspire you to do what you want and be who you want to be. Anything is possible if you really want it and if it is really important to you. If you want to find out more about me and who I am, check out my website, mummyandabreak.co.uk. However, for now, sit back, relax and enjoy this podcast episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. During this podcast series, I will be interviewing six awesome women who will be sharing with us their mum stories. My guest today is Carly Poyser, who I had the pleasure of meeting only a few months ago. Thanks for joining me today, Carly. Thank you for having me, Maria. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I always love talking to mums. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get a sense of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Carly. I have two sons. I'm a business coach. I work with women around their business, empowerment, confidence. I used to play rugby. Um, I set up my local ladies team and I manage them and help coach and I set up the girls teams. I train strong women and compete when I'm not too injured to do so. So that's me. <laughs> and I know previously when we've spoken, your sort of focus and cheerleader in you is all about promoting women to be strong and to sort of stand in their own, in their own like gifts and not yeah, embrace, to be Yeah, women. absolutely. Yeah. It's embracing who you are, not being afraid to stand out and not being afraid to share your opinions. Yeah. And so often we spend time as women going, I've got this great idea and it could be amazing. Okay. And then run in the opposite direction. You know, there's a lot of, I'm sure, amazing businesses out there that have never got off the ground because women, as women, we doubt ourselves first. We don't go, oh, that's great. Let's go. We go, that's great. I can think of a thousand reasons why I shouldn't do this. That just reminds me of, um, I don't know. It's, it's not a statistic. It probably is a statistic where a guy will look at a job advert and he might be able to do 30% of it and he'll go, do you know what? I'll apply for it anyway. Yeah. A woman will look at it. She can do 80% of it and she'll go, oh, no, but I, can't, I can only do 80%. So 100%. I won't apply for it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And that does happen, you know. You just sort of think, that's beyond me. Not, oh, actually, it's a new job, a new experience. I can pick that up. And same as any part of the business. She goes, oh, I've got a great business idea, but I don't really know how to set one up or I don't know how to move on to that next part. And then that's it. Yeah, yeah. See, I love what you're about. I love your ethos. So let's talk about being mums. So yeah. first of all, tell me a bit about or tell us your mum story. Yeah, so 
I had my first son in 2003. Um, I'd been told 18 months previously that you've got a 1% chance of conceiving naturally. I have endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. And the consultant just basically said, yeah, you know, we'll see you when you need IVF. And that was it. So I was like, oh, okay. And as soon as someone says to you, and I'd never hugely been I must have children. It was never a huge part. I was very much career in the city, you know, trading, project management, accounting. That that was what I wanted to do. But it's like going on a diet and someone passing you a chocolate bar you can't eat, you know. Someone all of a sudden says, yeah, you're not going to have kids. I'm like, please, I absolutely am. So went into it quite naively, which is probably why it worked. Um, literally, Alfie was born 10 months and one day after we got married. So it was a bit of a shock. Um, I did sort of, you know, do the pregnancy test and sit looking at the bottle of wine going, oh, my God, it's going to be interesting. And then he was born um, a month premature, but very small, £5.13. So I had group B strep, um, and which they treated Alfie for. So he had to have a lumbar puncture, bless him. And it was all, you know, special care, quite crazy. Um, but he's absolutely fine. He's now a six foot strapping strong man about to start his sort of professional competing career by the Arnold's doing this or amateur show. And yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with him. We often joke that, you know, all everything they gave him when he was a premature baby, you know, the steroids the this, the that clearly has worked because he is quite a lump. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, that was Alfie. And then I had Oscar 11 months later. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Bless so Oscar, you. I know. Oscar was also <laughs> premature, but a premature chunk. He was £7.13 and a month early. So He was a lot bigger than his, yeah, his brother. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't have group B strep. I had obstetric cholestasis, so I was turning a lovely colour of yellow. Um, but And that's why he had to come a month early. They induced me. Um, and, yeah he had one night in special care and I think you know they thought what's he doing here so that was it and we was home quite quickly with him so which is lovely and we've got photos of me at Alfie's first birthday party holding Oscar and I just look like I'm from another planet it just doesn't look real you know I'm so tired and I've got this sort of two-week-old and a one-year-old and you're thinking how did this happen I had a career in the city what is this so it was your, your career, your career set you up. If you can deal with like the blokes in the city, then two babies, yeah. surely it set you up for that. Yeah, yeah, it did a bit. And it didn't, it wasn't that nothing phased me. I'm just the type of personality that sort of says, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Let's crack on. That's not to say there weren't dark days. And, you know, my husband worked really long hours also in the city in law. And so it was me and the kids. Um, and there was one night he walked in and I was just like, I think I need to jump off a bridge today. And he was like, okay, I'm worried now. Mm. I'm like, I think I just need sleep. Mm. You know, it's just, it was hard. There was very little support, but it is what it is. Me and the boys have got an excellent bond. Oscar's six foot, nearly six foot six. He's 17. He's just, you know, he's a lump as well. He's gone off to play for the NFL Academy in Loughborough. Um, and he's completing his A-levels there. And it's amazing. So, yeah, you know, that that's it. Oh, my word. So I want to delve into two things here, really. Mm. 
the first one is what was it like when Alfie was born seeing him and having all of those emotions and going through all of well the fact that you've got this baby who's really small Mm. in intensive care he's your first one what was that like what were you feeling what were you thinking it was a bit like shell shock really because I'd just gone on maternity leave I think I can't even remember what day he was born I should know that but it was like I had a day and then he was born you know it was really quick so I think you don't have much time to think and then not once when he was in special care did I think things could go wrong here. I always just thought, well, he's, he's going to come out, isn't he? That was it. It's, I don't know if that was just in my head so that I didn't go there. You know, even when the only time I walked out when I couldn't face seeing him having stuff done and that blessing was when they'd done the lumber punch and I had to walk out. And I was like, no, nobody needs to see that. But yeah, I always sort of, thought he would be absolutely fine and I think you put it into context even you know I joke that Oscar when he was in special care at £7.13 it was embarrassing because there are some tiny babies well even at £5.13 you know he was still quite a lump compared to those one and two pounds premature so I felt quite lucky in many ways you know it wasn't as intense as some of those parents were going through for sure but I think also based on like, you know, just your introduction where you said, well, somebody said that I, I wasn't going to be a mum because of the low probability of me getting pregnant. And you went, oh, I don't think so. So yeah. it, it sounds like just your mindset, you're generally positive anyway. And if somebody says no, you'll find a reason to say yes. Yeah, generally. And that's that's what happened when I set up the the ladies rugby team locally, because my business that I had at the time was sponsored a rugby awards my local team that my young the yeah Oscar was going to at the time, they won rugby club of the year. And I just went over to them and I'm like, guys, they're like, great, you're a great club, but you've got no women and girls. So I don't understand how you've just won. And they were like, you know, middle-aged men. <laughs> oh, we've tried it, we've tried it. And I'm like, no. And it was a case of literally hold my beer. We'll do this then, shall we? And two months later, we had ladies rugby team. Because it's just so you can't leave that. You can't just go, oh, we've tried it. No, let's go. I see. I love it. So now when I ask you this question, I'm going to, I'm already thinking that your answer is going to be, well, what else could I do, Maria? And the question <laughs> is, you had two children. Yeah. And who were at the, when the second one was born, when Oscar was born, under what? How do you manage? I mean, I can sort of relate to you in the sense of I was one of those children. So my mum had my brother yeah. and then 10 and a half months later, I came along. So, yeah. and and I just like, I'm like, how did you let dad anywhere near you? That was my first. And then I <laughs> yeah, said, don't, no, I don't want to know. I've been asked that as well, yeah. <laughs> but what, how, how do you manage two children under one because I can remember how I felt with just one child let alone I think like you're two. so in it it's okay. like you're in it already and you don't really have time to think and I remember sitting there I didn't really breastfeeding for me when the boys didn't happen really well Alfie I think it was like the two or three weeks and then Oscar was the same but that with Oscar was more down to the logistics you know it takes time you sit you can't do that when you've got a baby crawling around and you're on your own. So, you know, but I remember sitting there feeding Oscar 
like a bottle at that point and spooning food into Alfie's mouth <laughs> and thinking it's only five o'clock come on two more hours <laughs> two more hours and then you can go to bed you know but I did do the whole thing and I went back to work quite quickly with both the boys it was six weeks with Alfie but I worked from home and wow. we've got a nanny to help um for those times when I was at work and then with Oscar of six months and we had a nanny then and I went back into the office but that was partly sanity for me because it was a shock because I didn't think this was going to be my life it soon changed two and a half to I think Oscar was two and a half when I left the city and just thought, what am I doing I want to be with them um but you just sort of get on with it and I am really organized with stuff I know it sounds ridiculous but you know the washing was always put on that was out I'm just a get up do it get it done that's not to say there wasn't the end of the evening where you're sitting on the sofa going don't know what day it is really what happened today because <laughs> that was you know your life but we would get out a lot so we had two dogs at the time so it would be out walking um and whether they were in a buggy or you know one in a buggy one on the buggy board Alfie always wanted to walk so the buggy board didn't really work so you've got two dogs a buggy and a child but would get out and just you know my theory was to tire them out to be honest it did it like, work let's run around <laughs> yeah it did and I think and even now we've got four dogs now but even now when I'm like, boy, should we go out for a walk? There was never really a moaning from them. I'm sure there is now. They're 17 and 18. They're like, oh, my God. But they'll still humor me. And <laughs> they'll still come out on a dog walk. You <laughs> oh, know, and I think getting them out fresh air was key. Amazing. Oh, just, well, just like I said before I asked you the question, I sort of knew roughly what the answer was going to be. Yeah. Because you are, that's your character, isn't it? That's how yeah. you are. Let's Let's just crack on because actually... What is the alternative? And do you want the alternative? Yeah, exactly. And I think if you sat there and got two in your head about it, I was lucky. I never had postnatal depression. I had, you know, like everyone has moments, you're tired, you've been up feeding. Um, but I was lucky that I never went through that either. So I could just crack on and, you know, every weekend we'd be out with the kids. I think I just enjoyed getting them out and doing stuff and, you know, whether it just be the park for a couple of hours, it was important for me to get out of the house. Mm. So, you know, they'd come with me and we'd go and do something fun. And being outdoors, regardless of, you know, we're talking here about raising children, but just getting outside, I think it's a must. It yeah. is, it's so good for our health and our, and our mental well-being mm. to be outside, be in nature, be able to like get out of breath and have a good old run yeah and just enjoy outside yeah even if it's raining there's never the wrong weather there's just the wrong clothing so that's what my husband says yeah honestly I am just like well you step on a pair of wellies crack on you know you walk in the dogs we don't do it in trainers do it in walking boots it's tipping down out there you know just just get it done and I just think it's lovely to be outside mm. And I'm much happier outside than in, definitely. Except for if you're in the gym. Yeah, except when I'm in the gym, which I do love as well. But, you know, especially if I can get anywhere near the sea, then that's it. That's like my happy place. So then what led you to becoming a doula? So in 2006, so the boys were one, uh, two and three. I, I fell pregnant again and I lost a daughter. 
So that's when I decided to leave the city. Um, I lost her in the July, June, July, and I left the city a month later and just packed my desk and walked out and scared my husband to death because I hadn't told him. I was just like, I've got to go. That's it. So work, the doctor signed me off for a month and said, you know, I was stressed, which obviously I was. I just lost a child and I didn't know, you know. It put a few things into perspective for me, basically, and I knew then I didn't want to be in the city. I knew I wanted the birth part was important for me to support other women because with Alfie it was really traumatic and I hemorrhaged and then there was a rush to theatre and um, with Oscar they induced me and I said I need to push literally like two hours later and they're like no you don't we'll go and get pethidine and they walk back in and I'm holding Oscar so it was sort of so I knew that around those areas I wanted to support women so during the time when I had left my job in the city we had to give the nanny at the time notice so I used that time to go and retrain as a doula and that was one of the best things I've ever done it was just amazing to be able to be that support for that woman and advocate for her because often we walk into a room and everyone's got a white coat on and we just lay on a bed passively and go okay you do what you need to do you know and I would just be that person I've done it before you know get up come on let's go let's move let's walk around for a bit let's do something different you know and just give her a voice where she didn't feel she had one mm. and so how long did you do that for I'd done that until 2010 so about three years three four years um and in the meantime I'd set up my other business which was a children's sports coaching business and that's the business I grew sold and franchised before I started the business coaching Oh my word. So tell me about one of the most challenging times when you were a doula. Oh, um, when you're pressing the emergency buzzer. I've done that twice. Going, something is wrong here. And the midwives are just run off their feet and the clients aren't getting one-to-one care. And you're pressing that emergency buzzer. And there was one family, I'd done that. She was rushed to emergency cesarean. And they could not talk to me afterwards about it. They could, it was like, no, because I was that trigger for them. Then they were so traumatized by the birth of their baby. They went and done the sort of medical liaison part, talking back at the hospital. But to engage with them afterwards, it was, they just didn't want to know, bless them. Because it was too traumatic and mm. I was there and that was it. But if I hadn't oppressed that buzzer, there is no doubt. You know, and it's no fault of anyone and it's circumstance, well, I guess the the NHS is underfunded for midwives and that one-to-one care that is so important. And you've got to build up that relationship of trust. So as a doula, you're doing that. You're having the prenatal appointments with them. You're getting to know them as a family before. Um, some of the best births that I've ever attended are home births, you know, where the other kids are there. And it's just fantastic. And so what is one of the most joyous times you had when you were a doula I'm sure there are many but just tell us about one there are one was a client who I'm still friends with now she was having baby number I think she's got five now so baby number four yeah and um she just felt she hadn't been heard before and a couple of them had been a bit emergency situations this one she wanted to have a home birth she'd sort of fought her way through to get that 
and it was just amazing. And she had them, him, call him Jay, in a pool in her living room. And then the kids came down in the morning and it's sort of 6 a.m. My car broke down on the way there. So my <laughs> husband had to come and get me. We swapped cars. But, you know, when you're like, we got there. Yeah. And she was just amazing. She was so focused, so within herself, which is where you need to be, you know, really listening to her body. And it was just amazing. I remember leaving about an hour after the midwife had, had left and just thinking like, oh, my God, it's like half past nine, ten o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I've just done all that. That's like amazing. And just seeing how happy she was afterwards. And she didn't then feel she wasn't listened to. She yeah. felt she was supported. And, you know, it wasn't a case of taking over from her husband in any way, because it's not about that. It's about supporting them all. So whether it's running hot water to top up the pool with the husband, you know, or supporting her physically there, it's whatever she needs at the time. You know, the kids the next morning, getting them up, throwing them some Weetabix in a bowl and letting them meet their new brother, that sort of thing. Just being part of the experience and knowing that you've enabled that. Yeah, you've just enabled that experience that can make so much difference. Oh, wow. What a lovely memory for that family to have as well. Yeah. And we're still friends now, which is fantastic. I've done some business coaching for her recently. as She's setting up her own business and it's just lovely to reconnect. And you've, you've shared a real like intimate moment with yeah. her as well, which will like keep you connected forever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, quite a few clients I'm still friends with. And it's lovely when you see their kids grow up and then all of a sudden I think another client put on there the other day that her son and daughter that I attended both of their births are now like 14 and 15. I'm like, no, you know, at the very start. And you're like, how did that happen? Oh my God, I feel so old. You know, you forget they're growing up all the time. You're not there, but again, amazing. I suppose it's like with anything, like when I've um, met friends, children as far as I'm concerned that child is that age like forever so for example when I met my um my nephew-in-law or my you know my husband's nephew yeah I met him when he was 10 yeah he's now in his 20s but as far as I'm concerned he's still 10 yeah yeah it's really weird when you see pictures and you know you're like oh my god you know the client that was talking about her home birth her son's just started senior school you're like, how did that happen? That was that was freaky. You know, I think she was nearly one of my last my last births that I attended. Oh, so Carly, it's coming towards the end of our yeah. episode. I want to bring it more specifically back to you now, being a mum, and I want you to tell us a highlight of being a mum and one of the most challenging times of being a mum. Okay. Um, highlight for me would be really most recently I think it was about a month ago um, and myself Alfie and Oscar all competed in um, Essex Strongest and we all placed third and it was just an amazing experience to do that with both of them you know before Oscar went off to the academy and Alfie's you know he lifts way more now than I'm anywhere near um good old testosterone I tell you I used to be an 18 year old boy that stuff's raging um and just you know having that experience with the both of them before we all sort of our lives changed so much you know Oz is already gone 
Alfie starts uni September. So it was just a moment where you just, you sit there and you try and appreciate it, you know, and what that means. Oh, because it is all of a sudden, and everyone says this to you. And I remember the boys being young and people going, you know, when they're two and three and, you know, one's running in that direction, one's running in that direction. And you're like, I only have one pair of hands. And people going, you know, they grow up so fast and you're like, I hope so. <laughs> and now you're there and you're like, oh, no, 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 not ready. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's definitely one of the highlights. And one of the hardest things, um, I'd say, is to keep communicating with them. Because there's so many times when if you decide, I don't know, not to do that. Like we've had different things, family situations. And the boys have always known the situation. We've always communicated. This is why. This is what's happening. Da da My dad was really sick, and we always now talk. You know, there was never a Shh, kids are coming in the room type of moment. I think mm. it's really important to always have those conversations. And Alfie, when he was about eight, I was really embarrassing at the dinner table, which my husband nearly spat out his dinner. And I just sat there calmly and explained to him what that was, and my husband was like. Oh my God, that's only going to get worse. And I'm like, yeah, but let's just have those conversations. Let's just, it's normal. It's part of growing up. They're going to ask. Yeah, yeah. You know, and obviously the boys are 17, 18. They've got secrets. They've got things they do with their mates that I'm sure I do not want to know about. (laughs) But, you know, they know who to call and who to reach out to. Mm. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. So there will be lots of women listening and watching going, I need to be in Carly's world. Make it easy for them. How can they connect with you? Yep. Um, I've got a website called silamatter.co.uk and silamatter means strong woman. So, oh, hence the naming of the business um, because I want all women to feel that strong and empowered. So silamatter or search for that on socials. I'm everywhere. So oh, yeah, it'll be great. Woman just, after my own heart. Yep. Just reach out. <laughs> And we'll put all the details in the episode description anyway. So it'll be really easy for people to connect with you. So I'd like to say thank you, Carly, for talking to me today and sharing your story with us. Thank you. No, it's been lovely to reminisce a bit as well, because it all goes so quick that you forget some of it. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And I shall see you next time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode and if you did then of course please share it with other mums. I have lots more resources for you that will help you on your journey through life. Just visit my website to access them which is mummyonabreak.co.uk. You can also find out details about my book Busy. Take care and see you the next time. Mm